go mm-hmm. i think okay so i have to first of all i have to first of all Please. ask so like um stuff. had you heard about so we're talking in this first section we're we're going to be getting into documentaries and scares it's something we haven't really done on this show before um both documentaries about scary subjects and uh some behind the scenes stuff of s- the making of some scary films uh so ha- first of all have you ever heard of this series before the this cursed films on shutter is that it was that well reed i have been your friend for Mm -hmm. quite some time and you do tend (laughs) to alert me of things such as this uh yeah whether by your mentioning it but i also am like liked shutter on facebook at some point in time so i get their ads Mm -hmm. uh, in my in my news feed you know uh sure promote that there and um the only one i knew for certain existed because i pinged our peer asia over it was rosemary's baby which maybe oh yeah 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 um it's yeah it's part of it's part of season two um of this so they did they did five of these in the first season that was a couple years ago i want to say yeah five episodes uh and then they released just recently like within the last couple of months i think they've released a, a whole season two so i will say before we get into it just previewing the whole thing is that the first five episodes of season one, well, season one is only five episodes, but all of season one is amazing. I love it. It is so well worth everybody's time. We'll be covering a handful of episodes from season one on the show. So definitely like check that out. Season two, uh, it's not that it's bad. It's just that season one felt very focused on this specific subject of curses that have haunted the legacy of certain productions and season two uh feels a little bit more like it's just kind of making of and behind the scenes stuff they dive a little bit into some of the like the cursed nature of certain things um but it really does feel a little bit more like it's just oh and here's a making of documentary about this this or this uh which was a little disappointing to see because the first season is so tightly focused around that theme uh, that I was really excited and eager to see the in the films that they had in season two what they would discuss. But um, but anyway, no. So we are discussing the cursed films episode on Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've covered Poltergeist on the show. My wife was guest for that conversation. Um, and I can't remember. I did not listen to it before going into this, but I can't remember if we touched on in that episode the. The legacy of the curses and the legacy of like the 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 way I Poltergeist feel, was viewed um, as a kind of a haunted film. You know, knowing my capacity for uh, uh, airtight memory, I feel like we we did point to it at least. Mm. I'm being a bit jokey that I don't remember much. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so but, I didn't pick up on the joke. Yeah, I didn't yeah, pick up on the joke. Guy, I was just like, it's okay. I was just ready to okay. like, oh, it's no, like no, no. <laughs> clearly that one didn't land. I need to inform <laughs> Reed that was me, <laughs> like I'm, not I'm, being I'm serious at all. But I love no, no, that you, like a sweet friend, you took the time <laughs> there for about thirty seconds to ponder. <laughs> did we? I did. Is Nathan just, right? You know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Have we Maybe. had a breakthrough? Um, <laughs> no, is the answer. Uh, but no. no, this this as this conceit about poltergeist, I wouldn't have been able to tell you what the actual quote unquote incidents were uh, surrounding mm-hmm. it. But yes, I was at least uh, aware that there was some troubled aspects, or at least yeah. some considered to be troubled aspects to it. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and this particular episode, though, is just you know uh, titled Poltergeist, is actually talking about all three of the yeah. films and the legacy around all three of the films, uh, because the, the 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 tragedy, the in air quotes curse that haunts this particular production, did extend on to the sequels and to people who were involved in the sequels as well. So, um, so I just want to know, like, just in general, what you what you. Th- Think of this. This is your first episode, and as as yeah. as of this recording, you haven't watched any of the others. I have right? not. This was just your. So so yeah. What what do you think about this? I thought Found it was great. Um, ah. Yeah, it was very intriguing, and I like you just uh, outlined for the listeners. Uh, I was not thinking about the fact that they were going to go through the other films or at least address them. Now it is funny. I don't remember if. <laughs> I don't remember if we talked about this during our episode on Poltergeist. Um, <laughs> I got it now. <laughs> but I have seen presumably two. I was going to say at least one of the sequels. It would make some sense if it was two, if I've only seen one of them, because I do remember the, the preacher character. Uh, oh, you do? My, okay. Yeah. Yeah. From my youth. He's my he's most years. prominent in the second one. Like, I don't really, I don't really care that, for the second. Is that the one film? with the worm in the bottle? I think it is. Yeah, I think it is the tequila. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, tequila mockingbird. <laughs> now I don't. Now I can't tell. <laughs> oh no! But I was making the, a joke. There's a worm in the in the tequila bottle. See, yeah, I thought I remembered it, but now I'm but now I'm the mm-hmm. one that's like struggling with my memory because you it, know I saw I saw the second. He will. He will. I saw the second and third one. I mean, we're talking years ago. Like it was a very, very long time mm-hmm. ago, and have not revisited them ever since because I didn't care for them very much. I've seen the original multiple times, but um, have not seen the second and third one except just the once, and not tangential to when they were released. I think it was one of those things where maybe seven or eight years ago they came back to back on some cable channel that I had. So I was like, I've never seen these. I'll watch these, and and uh, so anyway, that uh, that that was that. Yeah. Well, you, asked, I'm sorry, you asked. Uh, I generally just loved the construction of it from a documentary standpoint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It was, it was interesting and informative. And I mean, I don't know how long we're going to spend on these cursed films episodes in frog context, but you know, like I I found it very moving to hear the director, Gary Sherman talk about the experience of, uh, uh, losing Heather O'Rourke and their desire to not even finish and being mm-hmm. kind of forced to finish by the studio and just his, yeah. It, yeah. I don't know. That was, that was a really moving to hear, to hear that story, uh, his yeah, experience of that story. Um, and yeah. just how these things get 
stuck in the cogs of these giant machines and and yeah yeah, yeah. That, that was that was really interesting go ahead no i th- i i think based on your response there you're gonna love some more of these episodes from season one like i think you're gonna love it because again they, they all strike that tone where it just has th- there's a lot of emotionality to them mm-hmm. um so before we get into too into the weeds of it we're gonna be super brief with much of this um but you know we started a tradition on these you know, like oh. these little minis. Yeah, you know, we started. I wasn't a even thinking tradition. about the old fuck you. Yeah, so so I I came this is, ready. You did good. You. So you've got a a docu scared fuck, fuck you for yeah. Yes, I do for uh for the cursed films episode okay. on Poltergeist. I'm excited. Uh, yeah, it's I love a good. It's not ball. jokey. It's oh, not okay. jokey because neither is the episode. But sure. but, but it is it is a haiku. Okay? But you did ready? work. But I'm I think it. I did the work, and 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 I think it sums things up kind of nicely. Okay, so here is the fog coup for the cursed films episode on Poltergeist. Tragedy occurs. People blame the production. Some things are senseless. That's that my. That's deep. That's, <laughs> that's deep. That's like, I'm going to start publishing some of these fog coups. <laughs> yeah, they'll be totally. You know, people will get it. But, but, uh, but no, so so I'll, I'll use that. I wanted to just like, so there you go, listeners. There's your little fog cue for, uh, for, for this thing. But I wanted to use that to bleed into it because I did find that profoundly interesting. You know, one of the things that I was moved by, I was moved by the director's conversation about the relationship. But you know what else moved me was the mm-hmm. very it apparent, did. what? I'm waiting to see where you go, but I might not oh, have moved you. The the very apparent uh, anger that 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 bubbled under the surface of the makeup effects artist when he mm. was talking about mm-hmm. when he was dismantling and and calling out in very direct language the offense of assigning a curse to this kind of stuff. I was really uh, in a different way. I was kind of moved by that where he talks about the the disrespect that it delivers to the legacy or to the memory of these people who lost their lives to assign it some mythical, yeah. you know, sort of, sort of curse. Up. Oh, he did. And I, and I was, I was invigorated by that. I thought that was yeah. really kind of, kind of affecting. Um, and, uh, and it really, and especially you combine that with the tenderness of the way they talked about Heather, of the way everybody mm-hmm. involved in the production, not just the director, but also Zelda Rubenstein, who who worked on uh, all three of the productions, uh, the way that she, you know, th- that they all expressed their affection for this little girl who they just adored and they just, you know, loved her. And it was just, yeah. But where, where did you think I was going when I first well, started? Well, I, I do about? remember that sequence and, and um, it makes sense. That's where you were heading. Uh, this is more of a, a bow on the whole piece that I thought you were aiming for is the female film critic that they have doing some commentary on the, the, the quote unquote curse. And I don't know that this is just illustrative of how this little 30 minute, uh, documentary episode about the making of these three films and the plague that followed it, quote unquote plague that followed it. Um, she says, Anyone can leave us at any time. And that's sometimes mm. too difficult for us to wrap our heads around. And I just really love that. And yeah. it, it yeah. you know, we live in an era currently and are living through an era where the most 
microscopic happenstance is assigned mythic quality. Um, right, right. And sometimes you want to say, no, there isn't a demonic pedophile ring. There's just people you don't like who, in this case, have the levers of power. This is a yeah. person saying, no, there's not a terrible curse assigned to the lineage of this. We just don't know how to deal with loss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. Yeah, that was exactly. really powerful to me. I, I'll yes and you on that. I found that to be, for this episode specifically, I found that to be one of the most affecting sort of uh, observations is the way we are so desperate to assign um, mythology to these things. Um, and also she pointed out, I believe it was the same person pointed out that there's a little bit of a, of a heightened nature to it in that the narrative of the fictional first film, that spectral haunting is rooted in the desecration of the, of the, um, bodies that they moved the headstones, but didn't move the bodies. And so it created this kind of meta curse, as she called it, where it was like, well, because they used real skeletons and that was what I appreciated about the makeup effects artist. He's like, real skeletons yeah. have been used in productions forever. You know, like right. he said, that's that's nothing new, um, because you can just go to a biological supply shop and get one rather than have to handcraft sure. <laughs> all of these things. Like, of course. Um, so I thought that was really insightful. But I did appreciate how it was like, okay, it, it's it's myth stacked upon myth because in the narrative that creates a curse on this fictional family. So then you have the 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 tragic death of Dominic Dunn, the the actress who was the daughter in the first one, and then you have um, Julian daughter. Beck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. She was the older daughter. Um, then you have Julian Beck uh, from the second film, and Will Sampson from the second film. Both of them who had uh, died shortly after the production, um, and then you have, of course, very very tragically, Heather O'Rourke towards the end of the third production. And so um, I just I really appreciated the way in which it seemed to me through this production, they honored the memory and legacy of those people while also dismantling in 28 minutes, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, very potently dismantling and really calling out. I think I just appreciated calling out like it's disrespectful to their memory to mythologize these curse around that. And I, I really connected with that in a profound way. Um, that, that honestly, I didn't quite suspect uh, when I was even revisiting these. I, I found it, I've seen all of these before. I found it moving the first time I watched it, um, found it even more significant this time around, uh, especially to your point, living in an era where there is a tremendous tendency to sort of heighten everything and make a big, broad sort of story around things that are much more direct and much more simple. Um, and how we dishonor legacies and how we distort realities by not just accepting that we can't deal with senseless tragedy um, and and acknowledging that we have a really hard time making sense of that. Um, so I, I did. I found I found that profoundly affecting. You had suggested uh, before, and we you know we can. Uh, you had suggested that for these little mini episodes, since we're not doing a full episode on the cursed film series, that we do a little mini that ain't right uh, section. So do you do you want to do that now? Do you still want to? Sure, you, or, I've only got yeah. one. So yeah, you know. 
I I have one and an alternate. So so yeah, uh, Andrew, uh, go ahead and take us away. Uh, what were you about to say? I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, you can go first. The death mask. What? It's my what? number one. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's all there. Yes. Cause, yes. Because that, yes. Cause when you're like, Hey, in these 20 minutes, 28 minutes, if you were to just prep someone, Hey, mm-hmm. we got a bit called that ain't right. Where you like take the worst thing present in a thing and you call yes. it ain't right. And then you say, now watch this 28 minutes and see what you write down. Everyone's going to come away with that. That's yeah, absolutely repulsive. It's insane. It's, it's terrible. It's wicked. Um, yeah. So if you're not going to watch it, if you haven't watched Poltergeist, the second act or the second film features, as already referenced, this preacher character, that actor dies. Um, right. Am I getting this right? He dies yes, before Julian the making Beck of dies. the third film for mm-hmm. the third film. They still wanted the character and, you know, CGI didn't really exist then. So what they did is they made, what they refer to as a death mask of that actor, mm-hmm. you know, think, yeah, think like a Halloween mask, but it's in the visage of this actor and put it on the actor playing the character in the third film. That's, that's, it ain't right. It ain't right. If things do invite curses, I could buy that. That's a thing that would invite a curse <laughs> to do that. Like that's I mean, not okay. That's pretty heinous. That's really, really heinous. Um, that was the, to your point, that was the main thing that I wrote down. Uh, the alternate that I had, in case you also came away with that same thing, is something you also have already just referenced, but uh, the the studios forcing, pushing yeah. them to finish the third film when none of them wanted to do it. None of them wanted to. Um, and uh, and I did, I was like, man, that just, that's terrible it was just awful and you know what's interesting hmm. little preview for something we, we won't get to for a couple of episodes but um there's another film in this same series that we will get to where another tragedy occurred and the context around finishing the film was very different it was uh so, so you'll see i won't spoil too much because we'll get there because I, I don't want to lead the witness too much but um but it is interesting to me, and this was a case where nobody in the production wanted to finish it. Nobody wanted to, to, to keep going, but the studios kind of made them fulfill their contractual obligation to it. And, uh, and, and so it, it was. It was really tragic in that sense. And it, it's not right. It wasn't right. <laughs> no. 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 Not at all. That ain't right. Not at all. That sure as hell ain't right. Right. Here we are. And Reed, why don't you set us up on this one? Okay. So uh, we've been making our way in this docu-series, docu-scared, through some episodes of <laughs> Cursed Films. Um, and I particularly, so I will call out for myself. This does not have to be the pervasive opinion uh, from everybody. Uh, cursed Films, the series, consists of two seasons, 
five episodes each season. The five episodes of season one are pretty unanimously incredible. I loved all five episodes. Highly recommend all of those episodes. We're covering most of the, of season one on, in this little series that we're doing. Season two, as I had referenced briefly, uh, I think last week, I found moderately disappointing because I felt like most of the installments in season two were a bit your typical behind-the-scenes making of information. They didn't feel like they were extensions of the thesis of cursed films, with one glaring exception, and that is today's conversation. It doesn't quite reach the the heights of my affection for pretty much all of season one of Cursed Films, but the episode of Cursed Films from season two on The Serpent and the Rainbow really captured my attention and my imagination, and uh, I wanted an opportunity to talk about it. Um, and so uh, I, I will say this because I want to get I want to invite um, Andrew's thoughts on the, you know this whole series and particularly this episode and Nathan's as well. Uh, but why don't I go ahead and start as our newly enthroned tradition is uh, with a fog coup for mm. uh, for old serpent in the rainbow uh, for listeners who are just catching us right now. Fog coup is our newly uh, enshrined way in which to summarize the uh, episodes that we're talking on uh, in, in these little TV guideposts. Um, so here's my fog coup for the Cursed Films episode on The Serpent and the Rainbow. Here we go. Haitian voodoo film. Filmmakers make it horror. Disrespect abides. That's my hmm. little fog coup for The Serpent and the Rainbow. So that's I it. I get it. Like a haiku. Yes, it is. It's like a haiku, but it's specially branded, and it's a fog coup. Yes, <laughs> this is amazing. I was like, I thought you were talking about like a coup, like they had in no. Haiti. No, 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 no. And I was no. like, this sounds terrible. Why would you? No, no. Okay, no. Why would you I love. I love this so much. This is. Uh, and, and I'm sorry. Can I review the coup? <laughs> yes, review the coup. It was great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Four stars. Um, so, uh, Andrew, uh, I am curious. Now, what listeners may or may not know is that you actually um, have done a little bit of work in your vocation on some documentaries. You've, you've mm-hmm. actually worked on a handful. Um, and so mm-hmm. I'm curious your perspective in general on just documentary filmmaking. I'm curious your perspective on this episode of Cursed Films, the series in general. So, yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, your so... So here's my thought. I'm going to jump around a little bit. Mm-hmm. The first thing that I thought <laughs> would have been more interesting than the whole episode of the episode would have been just watching the actual reactions of... So there, there's a scene in it where uh, they do kind of a Q&A of... Uh, they show the serpent and the rainbow to a room of Haitian, uh, yes, locals. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they kind of get their feedback on it. And I thought that would be more interesting, I think, just to hear kind of their feedback on it because they had really interesting things to say. I that agree seemed with that. much more poignant than anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really yeah. said. That's yes. one thing. That's, that was my overall thought on the whole thing. I just thought that would be kind of interesting to be a fly on the wall in that room. I thought the anthropologist, these are my, I'm just going to go through my notes. Sure. The anthropologist just kind of had the zombie powder on his desk 
And he was like, oh, <laughs> I have that. <laughs> and you would think if you had that, you would be like, oh, I have this in this special spot here. He's nope. like, oh, I think I, I have it Wh- here. That feels Where the like kids can't get at it. It's own sort of launch pad for a franchise or a horror <laughs> franchise. <laughs> like I half expected him to go <laughs> like halfway back to the chair yeah, and just yeah. trip Drop on it. it. Like Mr. Mr. Magoo type character. Like, Oh, anthropologist, you've done it again. <laughs> um, I wrote uh banana effing Republic. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's funny. They yeah. just, they love, that was just all the running thing in it. Uh, some fog l- lore, fog cannon lore. Mm-hmm. Um, I went back to Apocalypto and crazy white man thinking mm. when the local people were talking about good voodoo and bad voodoo yeah, and yeah. Mm-hmm. how they were saying that the good voodoo, uh, how the film was stigmatizing voodoo and that it made it look like all voodoo is bad mm-hmm. and how there's good voodoo. And um, I actually had a conversation about this particular segment with a friend before coming on the podcast and talking mm. about it ah. and we came up with the hashtag voodoo too mm. <laughs> and it's good <laughs> there can be, i don't know who knows i don't know how to make the make a make a case for voodoo but it was just i was but i was thinking a little bit um i don't know in the greater context of the rest of the episode of how good it is but uh, i was thinking about just um yeah that conversation about in, in the leftover season three about yeah, kind of that idea of God working through other avenues, been big enough to work through mm-hmm. bigger things. Mm-hmm. Could it be through voodoo? That's, too? Some, that's some crazy white fella thinking there, Andrew Nelson. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we should go down a well. <laughs> um, uh, so, and I wrote, I don't know about voodoo, but that's just it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, yeah. can, I, can I jump in there? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I, I actually have not seen this film, and mm. I found this episode very fascinating, and mm. and it's so wild. Because if you watch it, <clears throat> one, I, so I didn't know Wes Craven. Um, can we just acknowledge that his son is incredibly emotionally healthy, all things considered? Like, yes, that yeah, dude yeah. has got his stuff together, and it was really impressive here in his very cogent assessment of his father's life, his life and the intertwining yeah. or not of the two, yeah. but, but it was just really fascinating. And, uh, Wade Davis, the, the, um, you know, horror Indiana Jones, uh, uh yeah, the anthropologist s- says this, right. Um, you know, that, that he wrote the book, the serpent in the rainbow as a way to kind of defang bias that had developed against, you know, the Haitian community and voodoo particularly. And yet through the making of this film, it Mm -hmm. it kind of had the adverse effect of his whole intention. Mm -hmm. Well, then you watch the documentary of the making of the film. And it's not just that the final product, it's like the snake eating its tail, right? It's not just that Mm -hmm. the final product of the movie, the serpent in the rainbow uh, somehow is contra the, the source material, but also just, that blew my mind. And if I had it, that ain't right. It's the mob scene, the mob that breaks out with the yes. thousands of extras. But yeah. where I'm going with this, Andrew, is you, you were referencing just, you know, uh, the, the, the good slash bad and, and, and or neutral voodoo. And mm-hmm. here's a statement. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. 
I'll put it in Chris Rock terms. <laughs> I'm not saying I'd have done it, but I understand, you know, uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, <laughs> but I kind of get it sometimes like hearing Wade Davis talk about the development of the bias and prejudice culturally that then takes root against a community and how that develops was so fascinating and so mm-hmm. depressing. It's like, man, yeah. we are so, and as three, you know, American hetero white dudes on a, on, with mm-hmm. microphones in front of them, let's, <laughs> let's own what it really is. It's like, we're so bad at honoring a thing for the thing itself, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. our desire. And, and I don't want to uh, uh, cast, bad faith up and down the line, you know, some of it's incidental, some of it's temptation to, in in this case, uh, he, he cites, uh, people getting book deals and all that sort of stuff. But this cyclone of bad information, bad perception, bad takes that kind of poison our culture's perception of the truth of another culture, right? Like, yes, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. There is some odd, offbeat, unorthodox, arguably weird things that are that are quote unquote attached to voodoo. But what we've been give, given as pop culture the last hundred years has made it worse. You know, it's like yes. there are things that yeah. are strange and foreign to me just because they're strange and foreign to me. It doesn't mean yeah. they are wicked, evil of the devil, mm-hmm. uh, have inherent to them and a signing of, of deviousness, if that makes sense. And so that was a really humbling and fascinating component of even just this 40 minute documentary on the making of a movie. Yeah. 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 And I, and I thought the, uh, speaking more of the humbling and just the, the awfulness of it was just the, the, the grave and the bone stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. Where they had to oh. dig up the grave and they didn't yeah, realize that was terrible. until it hollowed out that they had been basically the rocks that thought that they were moving, yeah. that they were desecrating remains. And, um, and yeah. the dude in the documentary was like, I probably shouldn't be telling you this. Yeah. And they're like, you already did. And yeah, it's right. like, and that was, that was uncomfortable. Like me, th- I, I was thinking of, no, I've not done necessarily like investigative, like that sort of documentary works type thing but like i i'd feel so uncomfortable like sitting there gotcha like that that feels weird that feels dicey to me kind of but i mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know what you and or like when they were pressing bill pullman to be like tell us like he was kind of oh, he was about his experience he was uncomfortable yeah. and mm-hmm. they kind of pressed him with it and he was like i don't yeah. like to share this with people and yeah. that was weird and i i, I struggle i struggle in the, in this and in the films like this, where they, I don't know what you do with that, you know? You know, it's it, it's interesting you bring that up because um, I had similar, so, so you want to, I want to assume good faith on the part of the filmmaker. It is worth noting that to a degree, when you're making a documentary film, you are to a, you do have uh, a thesis or or some sort of point of view that even if only in the editing room you are piecing something together you know with intent and uh, and it is fascinating because the ways that we can absorb documentary material as and and, and we want 
<clears throat> I keep saying we. I want to absorb documentary t- material as truth telling. That's it's it's supposed to be, you know, fact finding and 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 all of that. And uh, it, it is fascinating because there were a couple of times, like you mentioned, where Wes Craven's son said, "Like I don't know if I should have said that," and then you're right on right on camera, and they left it in the episode where he's like, "Well, you already did, so it's <laughs> it's in the can now." Mm-hmm. And and it th- you know that is really. That's really interesting to me because I do think there's a way, another film, not today's film, but another film that we're covering, um, I have some questions for the filmmakers involved about their motives, their intentions, their, you know, Mm -hmm. like uh, something along those lines about like, okay, what is, you know, what, what is the, the notion here and bringing it a bit back to something like voodoo, Mm -hmm. I will admit, you know, profound ignorance of the, the, mm-hmm. the religion of voodoo, the culture of, yeah. of voodoo. And, and I will also confess, just while we're all being honest with each other, I will also confess some trepidation, some, some nervousness, some concern because of mm-hmm. the way repeatedly it has been portrayed in, in narrative fiction, visual and um, books I've read and things like that, that it, uh, it, it is stigmatized in my mind. And so I would have to any engagement I would have with the conversation, I feel it would be my responsibility to acknowledge the stigma entering into the conversation. That I'm yeah. like, okay, I, I don't know. Maybe there is a tremendous amount of, of things that I would, e- even if I had full cultural education on it, I might look at it and go, that ain't right. Or I might, you know, have a, a much different perspective, a much more respectful or, you know, I, I don't know how I would come out of it. Mm-hmm. But I, I find that fascinating. And one of the things that I do find uh, pretty heinous. Uh, I'll mention this just in passing. I read a book not that long ago that I cannot recommend to people highly enough. Love the book. Uh, I'm going to read it possibly every couple of years just to refresh my memory. The book is called, and I've mentioned it on the show before, but the book is called Rescuing the Gospel from the Cowboys. And the thesis of the book, it was written by um, a, an indigenous individual, a minister by the name of Richard Twiss. He has since died. It was a, a book he began and had largely finished. It was in kind of the editing phase when he died, and then it was a posthumous publication. But uh, he goes into profound depth about the ways in which the culture of indigenous people, uh, particularly as followers of Christ, or as followers, as they put it, of the Jesus way, as they would try to engage their cultural heritage in the light of their faith in Christ, met profound resistance because people didn't want uh, ceremonial dances. They they were very uncomfortable by the concept of a sweat lodge that was rooted in the person of Christ. And so there was a lot of discomfort to that. The reason I'm bringing it up is because that has stayed, since reading that book uh, towards the end of last year, it has stayed in my mind and has lodged in my spirit very much as a way to help me not dismiss cultures I don't understand, Mm -hmm. to not dismiss religious practice that I don't understand. There's a concept called syncretism that that they address in the book that I'm referencing, which is like the blending of cultures where suddenly you get like, oh, you get traditional – uh, Christian thinking and 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 that can blend with these other things and suddenly you don't really have Christian thinking anymore you have a new hybrid thing and and they do talk about that and they address kind of the risks and dangers there but all of that said is I think it's it's healthy for us to simply acknowledge like yeah I I don't know 
the roots of that culture, and more especially speaking as a Christian, I don't know uh, the the presence or absence that I have a right to assign to Christ in the midst yes. of that culture. Amen. I don't I don't have the 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 authority to say, well, you know, Christ isn't there or he can't be mm-hmm. there. Um, and I also don't have the authority to say the converse either. It's just it, it, it's something that we can get really arrogant bringing it back into the cursed film episode. Uh, the the I, I love Wes Craven. I miss Wes Craven as a filmmaker. Uh, I, I've talked to a couple of people who met him. Said he's a sweet and lovely man. But like the arrogance to say we can just go in here and we'll just we'll just move some things around, right? We'll we'll mark where this headstone was. And we'll move it mm-hmm. and then we'll push it back. Like like just you don't go into somebody's house and be like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna move your couch out of the way for just a second to do my thing, and then I'll push your couch back and mm-hmm. everything. You know, it's a it, it's a disrespectful thing. But we have a, a profound sense of like, well, we were given permission, so we're just going to do it. And and I do think it it it's worth pausing for ourselves to recognize, like, yeah, we we have a tendency to just sort of barrel right through because we want it, our own little mini manifest destinies, if you will, that just say like, well, yeah. we want to accomplish this thing, so we're just going to move all the things out of the way to accomplish this thing. And 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 I find that convicting, even but as a creative it, artist. Isn't it fascinating, Reed? Like, I feel like. Now, in fairness, uh, you know, this movie was made in what, early 80s, late 70s? Um, uh, actually, Serpent in the Rainbow, I think, is late 80s, early 90s. Okay. Yeah, late 80s, okay. maybe. Yeah. Nonetheless, 35-ish years. And there's yeah. a lot of sort of thought and thinking and progress in thought and thinking since then. So I can respect that. And sure. what I do, um, any commentary uh, that sounds critical... Uh, I don't think, um, never did I get the impression any of this was done in bad faith whatsoever. And that matters. I agree with that. I agree with that. And, and that said, it is fascinating watching this because when they start now, I know enough in my own just personal reading and what limited sort of, you know, awareness of, of impoverished cultures that exist in the world that I have, I knew when they started describing that extras scene, I was like, this is going to go bad. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I hadn't seen the original film. I hadn't seen this documentary. I just knew you tamper with a region, a culture and economies, uh, a region and culture's economy. And especially one so impoverished, it's going to end poorly for you. But imagine, um, what you watch in this is effectively in microcosm. What I'll say it uh, for I'll, I'll, I'll verbalize it and and you know so that y'all don't have to be accountable for this statement. But is what churches do with mission groups, right? It's mm-hmm. let's send in the the white people <laughs> and you know really disrupt a a a population. But look at the T-shirts we got and the friendships we made, right? Like that is the mm-hmm. vibe. And 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 I the reason I preface this by saying I don't assign bad faith to their intentions. Like they thought, hey, we're gonna go make a movie, and it just right. got out of hand because you didn't know what you were doing. Yeah. And this terrible cir- uh, cycle that exists when we are negligent of our activities impact on others. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and in this case, just anthropologically, right? Like you right. watch, cause that whole sequence when they're, um, 
I don't remember the gentleman's name, but the guy who married ended up marrying Nancy from Elm Street. Like, yeah. um, you you hear them telling the stories of fleeing that scene. I'm like, I, this is so bad. This is so bad. You're just telling a story, and that's okay. Again, like you get the impression all, all of these people have sat with this experience, and it's yes. impacted them in in significant ways, uh, uh, in in a positive way. And so that's important. And even that actress who cites adventure comes with responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Was that did they say that or are you? One, one of them that? said that. No, one of them oh, said okay. that. Yeah, I'm sorry, I, thought, I thought that's what you were going to say. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Um, specifically, I'm thinking of kinda, the yeah. the the woman, the the woman of color, the actress who basically says by the end of it, is like, I don't, I don't know that we even did this the right way. And so it's just fascinating. It's fascinating and humbling to to watch this play out and know, like, this is quote unquote Hollywood making a quote unquote horror movie, but how history itself. Modern history itself is littered with this exact exercise. Let's send in a group, regardless of the disruption that can come and the negative impact it might have. And I don't even mean for that to sound cynical. Y'all know what I'm trying to say. No, I it's get just it. I get it. Yeah. The insensitivity kind of screams at you. Yeah. No, and I, 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 I thought it was the, the, the woman that you said, uh, who the one you just you just talked about uh, who yeah, was the, the was the other lead yeah yeah um she was the one who said she she had the hindsight to say with adventure comes responsibility gotcha. and after that I wrote mission trips in my thing wow yeah because yeah, yeah, yeah. I was literally thinking that I because I thought I and what what I reflected on about that was so many people I think these people were just making a movie. And they probably they had the you know wherewithal now years later I and probably hopefully sooner than years later mm-hmm. to to look back and say that but you know there's so many people that just look back at it as like oh that's so cool we did it right you know what I mean mm-hmm. and and I just think it's it's just there's that yeah there's that arrogance and that uh, just that uh, and and if you and if for people that didn't really see the episode or whatever it was there's there's this there's this funeral procession they're filming and there was a couple like hundred people, but then it turned into a couple hundred more. And then it turned into, I think they said up to 4,000 extras Mm -hmm. who wanted to be paid and they weren't. And that was what really like, it's not to say that about it. It bothered me of course, but it like, I can't even really grasp the gravity of just, this is evil. What they were doing, just the, the, Mm the way they were talking about because the guy even said like, yeah, we weren't paying them enough because they, right. they come mm-hmm. into this culture getting these people who were, and he, and he even said they got people who I can't remember the job they were doing, but they were, sugar. he said like they were cutting sugar. sugar yeah. Sugar cane. Yeah. Sugar he said, cane. And he, yeah. he said, For a this dollar is not a, he said, this is not a good job. This is like the worst job you can have there. Mm-hmm. And it's for a dollar a day. We were giving them $3 a day and mm-hmm. we were not paying them enough to, to be extras and like they were asking for more. We probably could have given them more is what he said. And it's like, Oh, so, mm-hmm. um, and anyways, this, 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 this scene they were shooting just got really out of hand. I mean, not even out of hand. It was, oh, it yeah. was bedlam. How do you, so, <laughs> Reed, have you seen the film? Andrew, have you seen the film? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to watch it, but it was too soon. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. so I did not watch it in, uh, a refresh state for this conversation, but I have seen Serpent in the Rainbow before. It is a 
what's interesting is I want to watch it again in light of having seen sure. this episode just uh, because my memory of it is as a mid-tier Wes Craven film. It's a film yeah. I, I, I kind of enjoyed, but uh, not something that I would have put on a list of like, oh man, you know, peak Wes Craven. But, um, but I, did, I did enjoy it when I saw it, you know, probably a but dozen guess- plus years ago. I guess I maybe I don't know if you'd even remember this, but um, I don't, I wouldn't. Uh, you know, you I kept waiting for them to reference, but we got the shot. You know, like I, I couldn't even oh, tell sure. did they even get what they wanted out of that scene, and so having not they, seen the movie, they made it. Yeah, I mean, they made it work. Like the 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 moment in this cursed film episode where they have to leave they all have right. to basically flee the country because they <laughs> right. too far you know and so they have to flee the country was towards the end of filming anyway mm-hmm. okay. and then they had a couple of additional like pickup shots that they could do in 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 sound stages and stuff like that nothing tremendously um right. intrusive to you know they had most of the film in the can by the time they reached that point and uh and so yeah i mean the film is coherent i remember it being I mean, it's a horror story. Bill Pullman plays that anthropologist character, and he goes through a nightmarish sequence of experiences, some of which they show some clips of in the sure. in the episode. But he definitely experiences a, a, a horror of sorts. Now, what I can't remember, and why I really want to uh, watch the film, is I can't remember how it resolves. Um, however many years ago I saw, I can't remember like the final button on the finished film. If it ends on like a a note of profound horror, or if he comes out of it as like. Now I've grown from this experience or something. I, I cannot recall how the film resolves. But. Well, and how kind of depressing was Zart? Like you, you get the impression watching the Curse Films episode that that the Pullman character in real life, Wade Davis, the anthropologist, like he had great reverence for this yes culture and region, and he he state he basically says, "I haven't been back." Like yeah, like he redirected his activism efforts. Uh, just yeah, and you just I don't know. It, it's really kind of sad. Yeah, it seemed yeah, to kind of ruin him a little bit. Like he did, yeah, because he had access. He had studied right. this and 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 had basically earned credibility here, at least as he expresses it. That then was all basically torpedoed mm-hmm. by this film, um, which further propagated some of what he was trying to negate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so it is, it is, it's a, it's a fascinating um, examination. And, and I'll say, I'll use this word, a kind of a convicting examination mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, it, 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 it urges you to uh, question your methods. So like, I think a lot of times people press forward with an enterprise and they have profound Intent. My intents are good. My, my, you know, my intentions, my desires are good. But something, a story like this, uh, urges and compels us to question our methods as well. Because we could have the, you know, back to mission trips or whatever. You can have in your heart and mind the best of self-affirmed uh, intentions, um, but the the methods really don't support those intentions, and you wind up doing something profoundly contrary to what your intentions might have been uh out the gate and so something like this encourages that like yeah if you're gonna set out upon a thing uh and it is not of your own cultural expression then question your methods as well as your intents so anyway um any anything else on this one before we pivot into our primary content I think just the fact that they were all wearing Banana Republic makes it worse. Just thinking of all <laughs> these really preppy white 
people <laughs> all wearing Banana Republic. It just seems like an army of preppy frat boys. It's quite that true. Just that is, is quite awful. True. <laughs> all right. So, uh, patrons, thank you for being with us. We will see you on the other side for our next film. Um, I love that that's become like the patron mobile. (laughs) So, uh, Cursed Films. This is a good little series, Riri. You're a good little fella. This is a good little series. Um, Glad you like it. I'm glad you enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. This one on old Richard Donner's Mm. The Allman. The Allman. Yes. Dubbed (laughs) The (laughs) Allman. Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, my. And it's and we've, we've we've lost them. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, it's gone. So this one was if there is an episode of this show, Cursed Films, that is in and of itself has the possibility to be a little unnerving. I would point to this one uh, primarily. Really? Yeah, primarily for the presence and interviews of an actual black magician and a professed witch and the way they talk about what they talk about that's kind of like, oh, oh, okay. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, there's that. Can I I be real for a minute? Please. The uh, wasn't the black magician because he was the ball guy, right? No, 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 no. The black... There was a dude. Yeah, go ahead. Finish your... Describe who you're There's a dude with, like, the leather jacket, right? Yeah, that's the black magician. That's... EA, yeah. EA but there was a dude with the bo- there was a bo- <laughs> bless you um <laughs> yeah who's like a, a okay, yeah, yeah my that, did, <laughs> oh my god um, <laughs> the, i just i don't know it was a it was a look for cursed films when these when these characters traipsed on which i i'm actually working hard not to be derisive i'm failing <laughs> but um it felt like joe bluth once or twice. Oh. I was like, yeah, I, this is like, what is this? this is kind of a thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know if I can take you seriously. So what's interesting is I did think I didn't do any looking up. I wouldn't, I, mama didn't raise an idiot, but I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, go down the Google rabbit hole on any of these people, but I'll tell you the line. If we were doing it, that ain't right. I'll tell you the line is when Michael Coral, the, professed witch in there he said yeah there are people who don't believe in all this stuff we call those targets i was like uh, yeah. yeah i was like oh, okay jesus <laughs> <laughs> i turn up gaither vocal band i'm like okay yeah because (laughs) give me some of them butterfly kisses bob carlo oh Oh, that's funny but (laughs) i'm just like my wife in the Mm. other room what you watching i'm watching something i don't want to talk about no um like i will say you know and and yes being did you did you did all right yeah real talk real talk did you legit were you a gaither band fan there was a couple of their songs. I tell you when I start. I tell you when I did like them is I have always been a fan of Mark Lowry uh, because I saw Mark Lowry when he was Mark Lowry before he jo- <laughs> before he joined the Gaither Vocal Band. I he actually 
as an up and comer, he attended uh, like a like a church camp meeting that we were at and and did his comedy. And I found it very funny and met him and he was a super nice guy and everything. So I always liked him. When he joined the Gaither vocal band, I did sort of engage some of their music and some of their biggest hits I liked, but I was never like a, ooh, crank, <laughs> turn it on and, and, uh, and <laughs> listen, listen to the whole album. I like when they got hip for a couple albums and called themselves GBB, you know? Oh, I remember that. I remember that period. Well, it's because- Do you really? I don't, because I was making that up. No, it's because- No, no, no. They they had the guy guy Penrod with the long hair and he was like, yeah, and he was he was all very like, yeah, they, were, they, they went through- Are you little, being for real? They called themselves GBB? <laughs> I mean, there's- I can't tell if you're being for real there's right a now. little icon. Now, I could be misremembering, but there's a little icon that just has GVB. I don't know that they ever called themselves sure. the GVB, like, you know, like hipster with it, everything. But I do know that there are some album covers that just shorten Gaither Vocal Band to GVB. Mm-hmm. But, and so that's what I thought you were referencing. I don't know. I honestly don't know if they ever called themselves that. But mm, so, so there's that. I do remember one funny <laughs> thing. Do you remember what Bill Gaither looked like? Well, it looks like I don't think he's passed away. Um, but do you remember what Bill Gaither looks like? <laughs> do you remember that? Do you, generally, do you have a picture in your head of what he looks like? Faintly. Because faintly, my favorite, my favorite uh, Gaither vocal band story is uh, there was a time where I was watching a little concert footage, and again, Mark Lowry's a comedian. And okay, I'm staring at him right now. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you see the image of him, and, and look this up, uh-huh. listeners. Just, just stop what you're doing. If you're driving, just you can do it later. But look up Bill Gaither. Okay. <laughs> lovely oh, man. man. Lovely man. I'm sure he's a wonderful man. But there was one time where Mark Lowry, uh, as a member of the as a member of the band, looked over at him and was like, "When are you going to do something different with your hair?" And then he looked right at him, and you know everybody's just like, "Oh, whatever." And then Mark Lowry, right there on stage, went cha 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 chia, and I was like. Wow, that is hysterical. Do you know what chia is? That is. Do you remember? Yeah, Read. <laughs> yes, I know what a chia pet is. Didn't Come have on, a strong man. Because yeah, living looking. color had the chia head. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I just thought that was I really never, funny. You know, Bill Gaither chia a, pet. You know, <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> this, the links we will go to not talk about the black magician. <laughs> All I was trying to say is it reminded me of Joe Bluth. You know, <laughs> well. <laughs> And I don't know. I don't know. Oh, the final countdown. It's my illusion. Um, I don't know the lengths at which those things are are necessarily to be taken seriously. Um, but I believed that it was not a stunt on cursed films part. Whether or not those sure. people should be taken seriously in the real, I now, believed that you, they. You say that. Did you catch? You're reminding me of this right now. Mm-hmm. Koetig, when he's out in his campsite, did you did you catch the audio cue? That was funny. I don't. He's like trying to start a fire or something, and the audio track like just stops real oh, abruptly. It blips. It's not this. an actual yeah. record skip, but it's something <laughs> like that. And I thought you guys are being cheeky now. <laughs> yes, yes, it did well. And uh, um, this is the only mm-hmm. episode of Curse Films that has an after credits as well. And after credits, you can hear what? Him. Yes, and af- now and after credits, you can hear him. Now they bleep the name of whatever he's trying to, but you can hear part of his little incantation trying to curse whatever production mm. he was trying to curse. Is it like Yogshadot? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not. I, I do. Have I a- mean, well, no wonder it didn't work. <laughs> what? <laughs> I do have a question before we leave it, and then one more little comment that we'll see a recurrence in our main film conversation. So my question is, tell me the truth, Nathan. Okay, I, I will. Didn't see I will. The gorilla. You didn't. Okay, that was my question. Is, no, did you see no, the gorilla? That was my. You that ain't right. <laughs> I I wanted to jump around like a gorilla when 
because because you know they showed the basketball scene yes and then i don't remember who it is but this you know professional kind of person Mm -hmm. after the fact and he's like and did you see the gorilla i was like (laughs) what you're like, what are you talking about? And then they replay it, and I was like, oh, oh my God, that little gorilla. You like turned oh on the God. light, like, I'm seeing stuff. Oh my God, this is scary stuff. I gotta Did this. you see this? There's a gorilla playing basketball. That's the funniest thing. The very, no, yeah, that was incredible. Yeah. Favorite part. Yeah. The very first time that I watched this episode. Totally missed the gorilla. Totally missed it. Of course I you absolutely did. missed it. I was gonna it. I was gonna call you a liar if you said no, otherwise. No, no, no. The very first I mean, like, once you see the gorilla, you can't unsee the gorilla. So I have seen that clip elsewhere in other exercises. That's, and so like That's but, life truth right there. But <laughs> but uh the very first time I saw the clip and was just counting the passes, nope, totally, totally missed it. Completely yeah, missed they it. They got me. And that was a really effective psychological exercise. Mm-hmm. Like an incre- like the point he was trying to make. It landed, and that's that. Sometimes you cannot see things that are glaringly obvious because you, you are see focused, the gorilla for the basketball. Yeah, because you are focused on something else, and that is a potent, potent little lesson uh, in that. So, yeah, I, I, I really loved that. The 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 broader thing that we'll probably see a reprise when we talk about our primary film is just kind of akin to that: the power of suggestion. And the way mm. that we miss things that aren't there and, 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 and so, or sometimes see things that aren't there and miss things that are obvious. And the, the seeing of patterns, I, f- I just found that really fascinating in this. The, and getting back to the whole, like, there's a witch and there's a Satanist and there's a black magician and, and, and all these kind of things. Like, I do think I, I, a gorilla. <laughs> I'll go back to something Stephen King said about this because he was asked in an interview i'm paraphrasing i can't find the quote but stephen king was asked at one point about like oh so do you do like you know do you do ouija boards and do you do everything and king in his way was like hell no i don't do any of that stuff like i don't do any of that stuff and and they're like well but you're a horror writer like why don't you he's like because I'm not interested in like opening up a door, even if all I'm doing is unlocking something in my brain. Like even if it is only the power of suggestion, I'm not interested in messing around with any of that. And uh, and I do think that's something that's pretty profound. Something again that we'll get into in the primary content of today. But that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk about this episode of Cursed Films, is I was like that stood out to me. Um, I don't want to rob you of real estate, but it, I mean it. it, it I have a fog coup, and then do you want to end it? Or do you have anything else you want to talk about? You want to talk about the... Let's fog you, Reed. Uh, <laughs> no. All right. Do it, and we'll end it. All right. So here's my fog coup. I like Richard Donner. I'm not a super fan of The Omen. Let's do this. All right. So fog coup for The Omen. Coincidences. Are they curses or blessings? Decide for yourself. That's my That's my fog coup on the... On the omen. <laughs> I love the writing exercise I have gifted you oh, in the development I of am, the FAQ. I, I, I was having a gorilla with you up in the FAQ. There was. If you read it again. <laughs> gorilla? <laughs> Where? <laughs> there? <laughs> that's, that's it. That's the one of it. Um, it's just basketball players. <laughs> Never in my life did I think like, hey, we're going to talk about cursed films in the omen. We're going to spend five minutes on the gay vocal band. So, uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
show. Episode over. <laughs> um, okay. So. Okay. So. All right. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so set the okay, stage. Without ambling bit. into it, at least just just be didactic. Yeah. Tell us what we're talking about. Okay. So. This is the final installment of our run through. Wow. Um, Our final installment of this present run of hashtag DocuScared, and therefore our final collection of episodes of Cursed Films. We had previously covered The Serpent and the Rainbow, Poltergeist, The Omen. Here, we are going to be talking about two of unquestionably the heaviest of the episodes of Cursed Films in terms of sadness and just uh emotional gravity emotional weight and so we we nathan and i joke around a lot we have a lot of fun on the show hopefully you have a lot of fun on the show but uh i do want to be sensitive to to the content that we're about to dive into not that this will be entirely dour or entirely uh down or without hope but um but these episodes are kind of heavy we are talking about the episodes of the series cursed films that unpack the proposed curses surrounding the films The Crow, which was its own episode, and a second episode on Twilight Zone, the movie. Because these two films are kind of linked by tragedies that occurred on set, um, we felt it would be appropriate and, to be honest, a bit relieving to discuss them together as a unit, even though they are two separate episodes of cursed films. And Um, because I don't want to ever have to talk about them again. I know, I know. So I'll lead with kind of a pivot question to you. I think I know the answer, but it's a two-part question. The first is, for either The Crow or Twilight Zone, the movie, had you seen the films before, slash had you heard about the onset occurrences before for either of those um, films? Um, I hadn't, I haven't, I still haven't seen either of the films Um hmm. You know, perhaps it's my uh, just sort of involvement in the comic book scene for, you know, three decades. Uh, I'm, sure. I'm keenly familiar with the Crow scenario, not in the level of detail the documentary goes into, but, right. you know, right. very aware of that. Um, I think if you'd asked me prior to watching this, like, Nathan, do you know something bad happens on the Twilight Zone film set? I would have probably been like, I think I I think that mm. was about, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. didn't know the content of the the movie itself. Uh, certainly did not know the um, nature of its tragedy. Uh, right. So no, I, I still, uh, you know, I haven't seen either of these films. Knew a decent bit of one, knew none of the other. Um, Understood. Understood. Well, at least let's let's if we can just just maybe tip our hat a little bit towards the crow and and i mean if only because of the escalating nature of the awfulness uh uh head afterwards towards twilight zone but you know the crow is pretty seminal uh, adapted from the comic book uh, by james obar which honestly i learned a lot about him and and sort Mm. of the origin Mm. of that character and story from watching this which was pretty cool i mean sad but you know cool developing sure sure that sort of cathartic creativity um but in this particular film, Brandon Lee, son of Bruce Lee, is cast as a crow and just, you know, is in a in a particular scene, uh, uh, a prop gun is used. I mean, Reed, it's ir- like, 
I couldn't not think of the Alec Baldwin scenario from this past year. Right. Um, right. You know, yeah. which is which is likely an extremely similar incident, you know, just just mm-hmm. a a prop uh, uh, irresponsibly kind of handed off to a performer. Uh, mm-hmm. Former uses it, and they go into the nuts and bolts of it. And actually, I found that interesting and you know, sure, fascinating yeah. and and mm-hmm. clarifying. But the prop goes off. It is in fact a prop in most ways. It appropriately did what it was supposed to do, with save one tiny aspect of. Uh, um, again, they go into the details of it, but it, it fires and and kills Brandon Lee. Uh, not immediately, but it, you get the impression it was pretty quick. Um, that it yeah. was definitely not a prop element that struck him. Um, Yeah. Can I uh, make a quick comment about that? That one of the things that I really appreciated about, and I, I I've said it every time we've talked about this, I'll say it again. These first five episodes, the five episodes of season one are cursed films. I think are exceptional as minuscule documentaries, as just pieces of construction, just, you know, uh, documentary narrative construction. And, and I, I just, I would recommend them to anybody with the stomach and stamina to just sort of handle the content. But we talked a little bit, I believe, last week or maybe the week before about demythologizing. And one of the things I really appreciated about the Crow episode is without beating a very heavy-handed drum, by going through all of the didactic pieces of that accident and how it transpired – to me, in a subtle subtextual way, they were demythologized. They were defanging sure. the curse, you know, that just like, hey, no, this is the very practical, very real way that a simple tragic choice to not check this one piece on this one piece of equipment resulted in a very severe tragedy. Um, and, and, and I just appreciated the way that, again, without heavy handedly, saying it's not a curse it's not a curse it's not a curse they just they're just presenting this is the mechanical way that it all transpired um and i just really appreciated that because i i found that to be uh refreshing although very heavy to be able to demythologize to be able to bring it down from the mythos of curse and the mythos of you know uh tragic coincidence as it were and one of the things I'll mention this and and then we can linger with the episode on the crow or 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 not as we see fit. Um one of the other things that I really appreciated that this episode brought out, if you'll recall, when we discussed the poltergeist films mm-hmm. and how the the makers of Poltergeist 3 after Heather O'Rourke died were pretty much coerced by the studios to fulfill their contractual obligation and complete the film when none of them wanted to. Now it is worth noting that none of the performers in the poltergeist sequences and any of the poltergeist films died on set. So that, that that's worth noting. And whereas Brandon Lee did die on set or like he was taken to the hospital, he was wounded on set and, and succumbed as a result. But I did appreciate the, the dichotomy that while the, in the poltergeist situation, they were forced, in a way, to complete the film. Whereas these filmmakers said they wanted, in a way, to try to honor the final work of Brandon Lee, and that he was very proud of the work, and that their completion of it, in full support of his family, but their their completion of it 
was in a sense to try to make you know sort of his final statement in a way that he was proud of and i appreciated that balance that well and even even to nuance what you're saying uh, at least according to it might have been the director was the director the ball guy yes um, yeah. um i think it was him who stated it, the fiance and the mom asked them to finish like it, it wasn't just mm, mm, right we right, want right, to right, do this right. are you okay it was they were yeah you know kind of encouraging uh that they move forward and, and i misspoke earlier the director doesn't appear in cursed films to my memory i believe the, it was the producer. producer yeah yes um, yeah, yeah yeah and you know to your point about the d mythologizing i think his name's matthew berryman is that the actor michael berryman michael, yeah, yeah, yeah. michael. Mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. yep uh who <laughs> he's great well one you know they they do up the skull cowboy character and i was like that gun that looks cool um yeah right <laughs> and right. then yes plus his already doesn't even get you know it sounds like again i haven't seen the film doesn't even make the final cut of the movie just by virtue of the tragedy they had to cut around right. some stuff but to your point he one of the final tags on this episode mm-hmm. is him is him saying the crow was not cursed the crow was right. made out of love and loss he does mm. a little. He does a little aside, shading, throwing shade at the studio. But then he says, "You can't be prepared for these moments, but you can carry on in honor of those who have left us." Yeah, 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 yeah. I just found that really, um, really moving. No, I, I did too. And and as heavy and sad as this episode is, um, I just really, yeah, I, I I really appreciated their approach to this material. I think this is, uh, you know it's very mature and it's very interesting. Um, and that brings us, uh, unless you had more to say specifically about the episode mm-hmm. of the crow that brings us of course, to the, um, just unspeakable. Like, uh, so can I share a little bit of just my pre prior to this episode, my knowledge of slash engagement with that. Sure. So, um, prior to this episode of cursed films, I watched the Twilight Zone, the movie, when I was younger. I can't remember at what point I saw it. And I, it, it was fine. Like, I'm not trying to be dismissive of it retroactively, but it was just, I was like, oh, okay, it was okay. Uh, actually, one of the most memorable parts about it is the opening, like, five, ten minutes, which is just like a sort of a stinger. It's not a full, complete story. It's just a little vignette, if you will. Uh, and that's honestly the most memorable part of it uh, to me. That and John Lithgow recreates the airplane gremlin mm, mm-hmm. story that's really famous and um now you mentioned having watched yeah. the movie at the time you did were you already a fan of the property or yeah yeah okay. i i can't remember how young i began watching twilight zone but it was very like i cannot remember a time when i didn't love it and hadn't seen it like you know it was in that young you know five six years old kind of thing that i would see a couple of episodes and i've always loved uh the twilight zone for again as long as i can remember um but since this is very heavy, I'll mention in a brief bit of levity, the original Twilight Zone episode with that gremlin on the wing mm-hmm. featured William Shatner mm-hmm. in that role. And then uh, John Lithgow in Twilight Zone, the movie, plays that role in a recreation of that sequence. And in the TV series Third Rock from the Sun, which starred John Lithgow, there's a scene where a relative of theirs played by William Shatner is picked up from the airport <laughs> and John Lithgow, they have a moment where Lithgow is like, 
hey, so how was the flight? Oh, it was the weirdest. And Shatner's like, it's the weirdest thing. There was like a monster, a gremlin on the plane. He's and Lithgow's like, that happened to me too. And I was thought that funny. was really cute and charming. But that is cute. Um, but then uh, getting back into it, so I saw this. And I did, I did remember registering, again, could be that this is rewriting history, but I did remember registering, like, that first story ended weird. Uh, the story about a, a man who goes back into, like, Vietnam, and he's a very strong bigot, and just like, I was like, it, it just felt weird. It felt clunky. I never knew why. And then somewhere, somewhere along the line, I can't remember where, I heard, oh, yeah, there was a really bad accident on the set of Twilight Zone. And so a lot of this is nebulous to me in terms of like what they did and why they still released the movie and, and cursed films episode doesn't even really go into it, but I had not prior to this cursed films episode, I had not known as much or seen as much as they go into. And this is this cursed films episode. And these released in yeah, what, 2017, uh, cursed films or 2019, something like that. Yeah, it was a couple of years ago. I, I, I want to say 2019, but I would need mm-hmm. to look it up to completely confirm. But yeah, a few years ago, these first. And you, uh, did, you until that, until Curse Films didn't have the clarity of what occurred? I didn't have all the details of what had occurred. I di- what I did know prior to the episode, and the, you know, we'll share for the audience now, what I did know prior to watching the Curse Films episode is uh, that Vic Morrow, the actor, and two children had lost their lives in an accident on set. That I knew. I didn't know much more beyond that. And so when this episode, which I say with no irony or tongue-in-cheek at all, this this Cursed Films episode is some of the most, probably some of the most harrowing 25 minutes of footage that I think I've ever seen of anything, just in terms of its gravity, its subject. Um but I found it really, really compelling for reasons that I'm sure we'll get into in a second. But for listeners who don't know anything about this and haven't watched the Cursed Films uh, episodes, on the set of The Twilight Zone, the movie, which was an anthology series. So it had like three or four different directors, and it was produced by Steven Spielberg. And one of the segments was directed by director John Landis, you know, pr- pretty much an icon, uh, mostly for comedies, but also made a couple of, of horror films. And um, he directed a segment of this and this segment extracts uh, a a scene from that it purports to be like a a village in Vietnam. And during this sequence, uh, our main character, an older man is supposed to rescue these two children from a sequence of like a raid and an explosion on in this village. Fast forwarding through what happens is through a sequence of decisions that escalate together uh the explosions are too big the very real helicopter is too uncontrolled it falls and crashes into the water and and kills the actor and the two children and kills them together uh horrifically in front of not only the entire crew but the children's parents were watching as well and it's it's a a, just an unspeakable unthinkable thing this Cursed Films episode, one of the things that I appreciated about it, and then I'll pivot to you for your thoughts. Um, one of the things I appreciated about it is it could have very easily been a sort of a extravagant hit piece, uh, an exploitative hit piece. But my take on it, the experience I had watching it, is by balancing out, which we'll go into more details in a bit, by balancing out 
the converse, say, by exploring a different film studio, something like Trauma Films, and also having the voice of Kane Hodder, who played Jason, but is also a very a legendary stuntman in the film industry, um, to have their voices to temper some of the, you know, overt outrage and 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 sort of uh, just just horrific feelings of anger that you would feel towards these people. I just felt like it was more balanced than I expected it to be as they were starting to get into it, and I just really appreciated what they had to how they approached this material. But, um, but what were your, what were your thoughts? How did you, you know, what, what happened? It's funny you say that because I said this to you on the phone that I think those 25 minutes of documentary are, are, are exceptional in the form. And, um, especially if like me, you didn't really know at all the details of this story and, and, and prior to it, would not have known explicitly one much less multiple much less uh, uh children are are do not make it out of the experience of making that film alive and right right i think i think as a counterpoint <laughs> i think you might be wrong i mm. think by providing objective voices oh. it makes mm. them look yeah. worse because yeah, that's a fair what point. it does is makes the documentarians look like they know what they're doing, which is mm, let us mm. juxtapose these voices of sanity and sober mindedness in hotter who you are right offers an objective. This, these things can happen voice, right? Right. But yes. in, yeah. but in juxtaposing the events of the twilight zone set with the trauma studios shoot, what they do actually isn't let's just sort of give a multifaceted, well-rounded take on this. They say there was an easy way that this did not have to happen. Easy, mm, easy, easy. Very fair. This, yeah. this, yeah. this was, you know, tragedy is kind of too light a word. And, um, yeah, as far as my take on a pure, just technical level, uh, it's a masterful bit of documentary filmmaking, um, I think, uh, I think it's pretty, pretty rattling. Um, you know, I, I described to you this sort of roller coaster of, of horror as mm -hmm. you sort of kind of start piecing together, you know, kind of, kind of where the, the, the tragedy is going to land. Um, you know, yeah. for me, it was like, <laughs> You know, you, you're introduced. I think you said his name, Vic Morrow. Like, you know, I'm I'm mm -hmm. I'm old enough to know the era this was made in, and Spielberg and Landis, and I can't remember the other two yeah. directors off the top of my head, but I know they were names and people I was familiar with. Sure. And, yeah. and I was like, I don't know who that guy is. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know. <laughs> and I, and yeah. so that's so that's how I'm starting. I'm like, huh. And I just mm -hmm. watched, and I, you know, I have only you to blame for. Uh, uh, some bad and most good in my life and, um, and, mu and much good in my life. And you, I had watched the crow early in the day and I was like, damn, this is, this is heavy. And you were just <laughs> like, well, have you, have you watched Twilight Zone? Yeah. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you were like, do you want me to tip you off at all? I was like, no. No, no, you know, <laughs> oh, I, mean, I was so badly. I was like, do I need to so, do I just burst the bubble? So, or do I, so then yeah. I'm watching it 
and and read like with pieces like this that aren't like feature length narrative stuff i can i can dip in and out a little easier than you might otherwise man i watch it on my ipad in my car in the 30 minutes Mm. before a work dinner Mm. and you know well enough and audiences know to a certain degree the type of work i'm environment i'm in Mm. and this keeps going and i'm like oh no yeah (laughs) like joe bluth yeah i've made a terrible mistake um (laughs) so yeah you meet vic morrow i'm like don't know him like oh there's a reason for that nathan um you know you you i started getting the sense okay he doesn't maybe he doesn't survive whatever's gonna happen this producer Mm -hmm. i don't have his name in front of me and i I should have remedied that because he clearly is a man of great remorse and deep compassion um i think his name was richard sawyer Okay. That's and, Richard Sawyer is his name. Uh, uh, you know, you get the sense Vic doesn't survive. Well, then they just introduce into the documentary the concept of kids. Right. And I was right. like, I, uh, I don't really know where this is going. Like, I really had no idea. Yeah. Even then. Yeah. And they start escalating the narrative. And by the time all the pieces are in place and you're like a friggin' fracking chopper. Uh, with an old man and two children traversing a body of water while, you know, way too close to their person's explosions are going off. I was like, this is, Oh, Oh, okay. Oh, that happened. Um, yeah, I do. I'm, I'm being jokey lest I fall apart, but I do want to caution anyone who doesn't know this stuff and, and, you know, it's possible you've got an interest enough to watch this episode of cursed films. I don't, I, it, 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 merit strong caution in doing so um uh, just because you they they have footage of what actually transpires and i think you're uh you are being a good a good man and human to say effectively a helicopter falls on them it's really actually worse than that but yes it it Um, is yeah yeah and you know we this isn't even our main um and and we'll, we'll get to that but like I, like so many people, trauma. You're like, okay, you know, right? James right. Gunn. James yeah. Gunn came up in that, and you know, clearly it's his. You know, it's had a residual effect on his his big time DC humor. But nonetheless, yeah, yeah. that that's about the sum of it. You know, toxic, uh, uh, Toxie, the Toxic Avenger, who had a cartoon yeah. in the early '90s. I remember that much. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And you watch this gentleman. His name's Lloyd Kaufman. And the first time you meet him in this little doc, he's on a set and I'm still getting my bearings. Right. Like, okay, well now what are we doing? Right. Right. And he's talking about, he's pointing to what I guess is a PA or something and talking about wires running from cameras and whatnot. And he's like, you know, be mindful of that. Little babies are going to trip on that. You gotta be be mindful of those. Don't want little kids Mm -hmm. tripping this, that, and the other. And what you learn real quick, when you see him, Minutes later, unironically, in women's clothing and makeup. Yes. Yeah. Talking to the camera and then on another set is this is the guy who produces who I don't I got a little confused. I don't know if he started trauma or inherited it very quickly, but has been with them for a very long time and is is very much their kind of head of state, as it were now. And 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 this again, the documentarians are exceptional in what they're setting out to do which is subvert you the viewer 
and say, mm-hmm. hey, don't wag your finger too quickly at these people. Because yeah. you like you like movies? These people made a f- movie. These mm-hmm. people, they honored human mm-hmm. life. Yeah, exactly. And they made exactly. garbage. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but they honored life while doing so. And I mean, this, yeah, go ahead. Well, because uh, only because you haven't spelled it out yet, I, I, I just want to highlight yeah, do it. that, that, you know, like they make these gross films, these very vulgar films, these very, you know, like, you know, tacky films, these films that are terribly exploitive or whatever. Uh, well, I shouldn't say terribly exploitative. They're just, they're, they're kind of, they're B movies. They're, they're, you know, uh, very, very basement fodder type stuff. But, there are three production rules to Trauma Studios, and they and they post them everywhere. Rule number one in big letters is safety to people or safety to human beings. Rule number two is safety to people's properties, also in big letters. Rule number three in much smaller letters is make a good movie. Safety to people, safety to people's property, make a good movie. And that is posted everywhere. And then they, they show it around and, and you hear people who work on trauma is like, we're making a movie. We're not splitting the atom. We're not doing it. It's, it's a movie, you know, like it's just a movie. And I found it so compelling. The, the fact that Lloyd Kaufman would also admit that he's a profound ego, like that he has a big ego to do what he does. Yet, exactly what you just said, they, where do you place your value? Where do you place your priorities? And you juxtapose that with what happened on the Twilight Zone set, which, yes, accepting that maybe the blame can't all fall on one person. And I, I've held back my opinion. I'm just going to say it is very, very difficult for me to view John Landis in the same way. I cannot rewatch Twilight Zone, the movie. I, I can't do it. Um, and I do think that somebody should have come up on criminal negligence charges. That's my opinion of it. It's just my opinion. Um, but when you see the decisions, the collection of decisions that that were made in the name of ego, in the name of extravagance, in the name of, oh, we're just going to, we're just bigger, bigger, stronger, more, better, bigger, completely devaluing rules that are in place and sure you know there's that old adage that like rules are made to be broken and this is the kind of thing that really just sort of you know stands in the face of all of that and just says like whoa like things can happen and it was it was profound to me and compelling to me that to your point don't wag your finger too much at basement fodder b-movie studios like trauma who sure are they making oscar caliber films no and they're not trying to but they are having, they are seeming to have a pretty good time and a pretty fun time making movies, and they're doing that. They're making a little bit of money on it, and all along the way, have at least, at the very least, their priorities in place in terms of production, safety to people, safety to people's property, and then if we can make a good movie. And 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 I I found that profoundly compelling uh, myself as a juxtaposition. Well, and I've got two kind of thoughts on this and then you know we can say more if we want or we can move on or you can say more if you want or we can move on but I think it was so arresting watching the trauma footage in light of the Twilight Zone footage and 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 so thing one is 
it reminds me of the New Testament uh, gospel phrasing, God is like. Mm. And I, and you watch that and you're like, God is like a D-movie cross-dressing film producer mm. who knows that care and compassion, courteousness, maybe love, he would say, for those in his orbit and those impacted and affected by those in his orbit is more important than the product. Mm -hmm. So that's thing one thing two is, you know, it's been fascinating. I don't know that I would have foreseen this when we embarked on docu scared, but, <laughs> but this notion of demythologizing is so present mm -hmm. and and I, and I look at the events of the Twilight Zone shoot, and I think hell is like. Mm. And I mm. think, Reed, we, so, we are so, we Christians are so desperate for an otherworldly mythology that we utterly ignore and neglect the fact that we can, will, and often do fashion hell right here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when we place the bombs too close to the children follow mm -hmm. this metaphor when we force people who can't carry them to do the work when mm -hmm. we fly the chopper too close to them mm -hmm. Reed do you know that Rob Elementary in Uvalde Texas will be torn down wow Wow. Because of the school system, I suppose, has said we don't want to force people to return to this building. Yeah, right, right. And you place the bombs too close, and you fly the helicopters too close, and you know you're doing it. You know you're doing it. We, we do it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that is my takeaway from the Curse Films Twilight Zone is... God is like a cross-dressing B-movie film producer and, 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 and hell is made in our hands. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it is a, a weighty thing to sit with and deserves, deserves our meditation is, is how I will yes. say it. It deserves, it deserves our meditation I'll, I will say two closing things to perhaps temper, perhaps emphasize, take them for how you will. For the sake of acknowledgement, there is a very practical reason why trauma films does what they do, what they do. And, and then I'll, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll just spit it out. There's a practical reason. And that's that if they did have a bad accident on set, it would, it would ruin the studio. The studio is not financially, you know, robust enough to be able to. So there is a practical reason. But then Lloyd Kaufman himself on the thing says he would not be able to live with himself. And that is why he emphasizes so heavily those safety to people, safety to people's property. He, regardless of the practical financial implications that the studio can't handle a lawsuit, he himself takes responsibility for it. So again, as emphasis that like he's like I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to live with myself if a bad accident happened on the set of one of my movies. It's not worth it. And the other piece that I wanted to point out, 
again in contrast is the ways and I'll borrow your language to say in the fashioning of hell that we've lied to ourselves uh, about grandeur and about importance because for whatever complex emotional landscape John Landis might have had, his comments at Vic Morrow's funeral are horrendous is how I'll call them. They are. Because at Vic Morrow's funeral, he wanted to give a, 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 a eulogy of sorts. And in it, he said, film is forever. And I am not quoting him verbatim, but but he's it's there in the footage if you want to watch the episode. He said, film is forever. And because of Vic Morrow's work, he will live forever. And and he kind of, I, I don't know what his intentions were. But no, it's not, not a good look. Whatever the intentions. Know. Yeah, it's not. But it was instructive to me to learn in that fashioning of things of like, we can in any, whatever it is, and again, I'm borrowing your language, in the fashioning of hell, I think it begins with idolatry, among many other things, but it begins when we view a thing, a structure, a product, a whatever, as like, this is the thing, this thing is forever, and then we we idolize it, and we put it on a pedestal, and we magnify it, and we do all of those kind of things. And then, what will you do? You will serve that thing mm-hmm. in the interests of only that, and at the cost of everything else, until you finally land on something. And 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 that is something that was instructive to me to remember is that in you know in the idolatry of saying something like, "Oh, well, this thing is going to be forever. This is going to be my legacy. This is going to be my big thing." There is can be a profound cost to that, and I I do I I resonate with your with your choice of language there that we fash we can fashion hell and many times the crafting of hell among and around us begins with a kind of idolatry and I find that uh, convicting and uh, it's it, it's harrowing but it is a it, it's a profound piece of work and um, yeah yeah I, I would I would. I would recommend the cursed films Twilight Zone episode from the standpoint that it is an exceptionally made documentary bit of documentary mm-hmm. filmmaking. I mean, it's, uh, it is, it should be too much for anyone, but it is yes. likely too yes. much for many. Uh, I think it might've been too much for me, but, um, I understand. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media and episode archive, essays, merchandise, and more. If you love what we do, consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast, where you will unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online events, and so much more. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of TracerMatula.com for our artwork. Our assortment of talented musicians, Andrew Nelson, the Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes. And to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music. Special thank you also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hi, everybody. <laughs>